welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and Jamie. Yeah, so this is our first of the Viewer's Choice episodes, and we have a special guest star, Jamie. Hello. And we are going to be reviewing the first of the Star Trek manga graphic novels, I guess they would be called. Yeah. Uh, this one's entitled Shinshi Shinsi, and uh, we'll be doing the first three stories out of that book. Excellent. And I think I'm, I didn't mention it, but this is episode 49. 49. Exactly. And of course, we're recording it June 16th, 2011. <laughs> so we are doing our special viewer's choice for the next four issues, or episodes, to celebrate our one-year anniversary of being on the net. Bravo! Yay! One year! That's great. Yeah, so we've been recording them for two years. <laughs> <laughs> or so it seems. So, uh, Jamie, you want to say anything about how much you love Star Trek, or even if you like it at all? <laughs> I do love Star Trek. Uh, my mom was a really big fan when you know she was a kid, and we grew up watching it, too. I remember that was always the, the big thing. Saturday night was, you know, my dad would come home from work at about 10.30. Star Trek would come on. My sister would fall asleep, and we'd stay up all night watching it, and it was awesome. It was some of my favorite memories growing up. So Perfect. Is the original series your favorite, or do you like some of the newer stuff? Um... The, the original Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, those I really enjoyed. Uh, Voyager, that one, not so much. Enterprise, only seen the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to get one of these days. We, we keep meaning to watch Stan and watch all of them, <laughs> but we just haven't gotten to it yet. And you're going to watch them in chronological order? Yes. Not yet. All of them as in all of Enterprise? No, as or in all Star Trek, period. Next Generation, wow. Deep Space Nine, Voyager, wow. and then get to Enterprise. Okay. Take a few weeks off for that. <laughs> All right. You like manga, right? That's why yes. you chose this one as your viewer's choice? Yes. Yes, I get them from the library and stuff and read them. Yeah. Yeah, they're usually a little out of order because they don't always have the ones I want when I want them. <laughs> but, yeah. Now, how do these pan out to mangas that you read that actually come from Japan? Could you tell they were different? I mean, they're... Um, the, st- the styling's very much... The same. A lot of, uh, you know, the big screams, the veins popping out of their foreheads, and very not clothed women in places, uh, the, the sound effects in the background. But the characters in the book do not look like the actors at all. And, and, and some more so than others. Yeah, and then there were sometimes I was confused. The only way I could tell, okay, that's Kirk and that one's Chekhov because of the way they were acting, not the way they looked. Some of them well, were, a lot of times I had to wait until someone actually mentioned a name. And they're like, <laughs> oh, that's who he is. Oh, yeah. All right, so I'm sure we'll talk about that from the individual stories. All right, uh, then I guess we can just jump into it if everybody's cool with that. That's cool. That's just good. to mention one more thing, we're all together face-to-face. Which this does not happen very often. Does not happen very often, and it might not happen for a, a long, long time, time after this. So, so extra special treat where we're able to all bounce off of each other 
as opposed to doing this all over Skype. So, right. So y'all be able to slap me when I get get a little silly. Perfect. <laughs> All right, so the first story was entitled Side Effects, uh, and this whole graphic novel came out in August of 2006. The writer was Chris Dow's artist, Makoto Nagasuka. The letterers was Lucas Sir, and editor was Louis Reyes. Can I ask a question? What's a toning orphan? Where are you seeing that? In the book. That was one of the uh, credits. Han Lam Chow. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, well, he was the toning guy for the story orphans, but what toning is, I'm not sure. I guess like the... Toning would be like stuff. the shining. I gotcha. Right. That was the story name. Okay. Yeah, yeah, orphans is like the fourth story in this book. Which we're not doing. Not okay. today. Not today. Starts off with the Enterprise has detected a badly damaged alien vessel. Kirk assembles a landing party of himself, McCoy, Spock, and Chekhov to investigate some disturbing readings. The crew find themselves in a ship filled with hundreds of humanoid aliens and some type of cryo-sleep devices. Koi states that many of them seem to have organs and tissues from several different species in them. And they even find a dead one that has all types of cybernetic implants installed. Spock is able to hack into the ship's records and discovers that the alien craft was launched over 200 years ago. McCoy laments about these poor devils in cryo-sleep and that they must be put out of their centuries-long suffering. Before Kirk can comment on the idea of pulling the plug on all these guys, Scotty contacts Kirk and informs him that a huge rift in space is opening up in front of the Enterprise. As Kirk is preparing the landing party to return to the Enterprise, McCoy and Chekhov make an interesting discovery. They find a scantily clad woman hooked up to a much more impressive machine than the other aliens seem to be. She seems to be a mixture of nine different species uh, and many cybernetic implants. Just then, she wakes up and breaks free. She quickly jabs Chekhov and injects two tubes uh, from her hand into his neck. We've never seen that before. Kirk blasts her, and she releases Chekhov, who falls upon the floor. The blast does not seem to phase her for long, and she continues to stride to the rest of the crew as the other aliens start to wake up and descend upon them as well. Just as it looks like the crew will be overcome, the transporter effect takes hold of them and they rematerialize on the transporter pad. Upon returning to the Enterprise, Kirk heads to the bridge and McCoy takes Chekhov to sickbay. And Spock requests some assistance from Scotty in modifying some hand phasers. As Kirk watches in horror, a huge craft emerges from the space anomaly. The larger vessel creates a tractor field around the Enterprise and the damaged alien craft and pulls them back into the uh, spatial rift. When they return to normal space at the other end of a wormhole, they find a huge space station at the edge of a black hole. Spock marvels about the power needed to keep the space station and the three ships from being sucked into the event horizon of the black hole. In sickbay, we learn that Chekhov was injected with a virus and that the alien ship must have been some sort of lab trying to discover the cure. As they approach the space station, huge explosions rock the station and Kirk chances an away team to try to stop the explosions because if the station is destroyed, then the Enterprise and everything else will be sucked into the maw of the black hole. They find the inhabitants of the space station being attacked by the woman from the other vessel and her zombie-like drones. Phasers and weapons do not seem to help until Spock joins the fray with his modified phasers. The crew eventually team up with the station's leaders, and we learn that they are the last of their species. 
They have built the space station at the edge of the black holes that will allow them the time to create the cures for the diseases that have destroyed their world. Kirk seems on board with the idea until he learns that they plan to take over the Enterprise to return to normal space and basically kill all the crew. Spock is about to offer another suggestion when the woman and her minions break into the bridge. Uh, A long firefight ensues and it looks like she's finally brought down as some of the guards are trying to remove her gently at the behest of the leader of the aliens. She awakes and starts the attack anew. Bleeding from some obvious injury, uh, she speaks with the leader and asks him, Why can't you accept what I have to offer, Father? And then she injects the tubes into his neck. She is about to do the same to the crew when Spock uh, trades some vicious blows to her injured shoulder. To no avail, she is about to inject him when Kirk shows up with a huge shoulder-mounted cannon and blasts her at point-blank range. As they're preparing to beam away, McCoy exclaims that he still needed a tissue sample from her to help save Chekhov when Spock shows his sleeve that is encrusted with her blood. As they beam away, the woman opens her eyes and says, I can save us. I am queen. Aboard the Enterprise, they travel back into the wormhole as the space station is devoured by the black hole. Back in the Alpha Quadrant, they are reviewing their sensor logs and they discover that the alien vessel also took off from the space station and escaped the black hole as well through another wormhole. Uh, the crew speculate that with that with being that close to the event horizon that she could have ended up anywhere in the galaxy at any time. McCoy uh, has the last line stating that any resistance to a force like hers would be futile. And then the last frame shows the traditional looking Borg queen like with some little Borg spheres. So I guess we're to imply that she is indeed the Borg queen. Ta-ta-ta! Pretty good, right? For a manga, I mean, they're actually tackling a pretty I, big story. Exactly. I, when I realized that, it was like, they're actually trying to tell about the, the origin of the Borg. And it works. I, I can't really fault, find too many fault in it. I, I mean, I, I was expecting more out of the Borg origin story, but yeah. it, was, it was cool. Well, there was a lot of thing, little things, like the injecting of the virus, that didn't come along till later, when Picard uh-huh. first comes in contact with them. Right. Uh, they just kind of collect the dead bodies and start putting stuff on them, and there you go, new board. Or even when uh, Picard was taken and t- changed into Locutus, they show him, you know, him getting his eye poked out and everything. And, uh, the virus came, I think, in Voyage... Or very oh. late. Well, that's when they talk about it, but I assume because then that that's when they started injecting them, and then they, you saw the little nanobots all changing in from within and stuff. And that's why they had such a hard time changing Seven of Nine back. That's why they couldn't get all of her little uh, transplant, uh, her little devices all, out so. of her. So, you, so you're saying Picard did not have the virus? Because I always assumed no. he did, and they just didn't have the special effects, or wasn't part of the plot at they the time. They would show them like putting pieces on, never. From growing. within, right. it was usually dead bodies, that, or at least mostly dead bodies, that they would you know collect and uh, haul off. Um, Interesting point. Yeah. How did she go from having hair and a top to no hair, and now she's got the little things that are like in her flesh up, up right. there? Her shirt's completely changed, and well, why I mean, does she believe she's queen? Well, did that happen over time? Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that that's yeah, way this, later. This, this is way later. Okay. Well, and, I mean, as as we saw in Star Trek First Contact and other things, I mean, the 
queen is in every Borg sphere, even though her phys- she's really not there. Just but she recreates her own body. <laughs> what? They started off as cubes, and then when first contact, right. yeah, then they did the little, little circle thing and the right. So maybe, but I mean, yeah, but you know, they they killed, evolved. they destroy the Borg ship at, in Star Trek: Best of Both Worlds, and and then in First Contact, Picard says that how could she still be alive because she was on that that sphere or that cube, and she says she's in all of them, and he thinks too linear or whatever. Mm. So and uh, you know, she's also in several episodes of. Voyager, which happens after First Contact, and we all saw that that Borg Queen definitely dies at the end of First Contact. So, this could be the progenitor of all the Borg Queens. Mm, I didn't think it'd be yeah, more than one Borg Queen. Maybe and she's, she's copied she's... or something. Right. Yeah. Well, if you remember, when all her skin's taken off, she's her skull and everything was cybernetic mm. at the end of First Contact, so she only her skin is flesh on her face. Mm-hmm. That's right, because yeah, she gave Data new skin, so yeah. why wouldn't she give herself new skin? Right. So, anyways, I, th- I liked it. It was interesting. Uh, they nev- they've never tried to explain where they came from. They were just always there. Right. Right. But they were supposedly coming from such a far distant part of the galaxy yeah. that we never came into contact with them. Right. The, so The Delta Quadrant. Yeah, that was the other Well, the other yeah, one. it was the Delta. I guess so, because yeah. they ran into them a lot with Voyager. Right. Right. So, so, I so think, they must have moved to the Delta Quadrant. Well, I think they moved to the Delta Quadrant with uh, when with they escaped wormhole. that wormhole right there, or that black hole. That's why they said she could go thousands of years in the past and another side of the galaxy, i.e. Do-do-do. Yeah, so, well, I mean, if she was 2,000 years in the past, that's 2,000 years before any of this happened, and she could have evolved into what the, what the queen and the Borg that we know. I don't know. Uh, I liked maybe. it. I thought yeah. it was good. I didn't see, like I said, I didn't see too many things that um, were too The other blatant. thing was when they come in contact with the board, Q says, you've never seen anything like this, and there's no, nothing in their databanks. They would have written up something. Something. Yeah, these, don't really, these don't really match the, that board, though. <laughs> these are just zombie guys that are sick. What are they sick with? The virus. Is it the Borg virus, or is there something that they were trying to cure by giving... And that's how they they, made the Borg. Yeah, they were trying to cure uh, some kind of disease in their society, and that's uh, the original work that eventually ended up in people turning into the Borg. Right. So they actually were finding people in the Alpha Quadrant, Ferengi, Andorians, whatever, and injecting them with this stuff and just putting them on these... uh, The ship thing. And I thought it was I thought that was cool that that you know the Borg always says they're they're striving for per- perfection so that's what these people are trying to do perfect their their immune, wow. system. their immune yeah. systems and things that's like true. that well they're trying to I don't know about perfection but they're trying to get it good enough that they can overcome whatever this uh, disease was right is the disease what makes them kind of look like stone they like the thing yeah <laughs> right they kind of look it. like Ben Grimm I thought that was just like veins and stuff. Is it? It's hard uh-huh. to tell. It is hard to tell. But uh, I mean, she doesn't look like that at all. But they, no. they no, but the other I ones just do. assumed that that was some sort of veiny look that they were mm. all having. Yeah, the, the it looks kind of. It looks. I don't know. I don't know if that looks. Yeah, maybe it's veins. Uh, that's what I thought it was. But I guess I could see the. It does kind of look stony. I guess it's hard when you're looking at it in black and white. Yeah. Yeah, which is another thing. Black and white. Comics are okay, but I prefer color. Yeah. 
get a lot more out of color yeah. comics. Just like you like color movies better than no, black I'm just, and white movies. I'm just saying. Like we're jaded. These are all black and white. Yeah. Right. <laughs> jaded? <laughs> now, it's 2011. Come now, on. They did of course, come it's out, just published whenever. But. Yeah, they did come out with a best of the manga where they colorized a few of them. Uh, I don't know if this was one of the ones that they colorized, but since it's such a big story, I kind of think that they might have. Now, they made it black and white because that... But I know they've got manga comics that are color. So, I mean, it was just a cost standpoint? Or well, there's some kind of tradition or something within the manga world? Or what? I don't know. Well, Most of them I see are, yeah, black and white. Yeah, in Japan, mm-hmm. they, they print it on pulp paper. And, I mean, uh, you go on a the subway there and, and everybody's sitting there reading one of these. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's something that you have to kind of keep hidden as you do here. You can't really... You wouldn't go on a subway and, and pull okay. out this a Star Trek comic book. Okay, but okay, but there it's okay, and and they buy them in these these huge uh, books, and they're like newspaper print, and they just read them and then throw them away. So I think they're oh, just print. Okay. They're they're made to be really cheap, okay. cheaply uh, so printed and cheaply uh, distributed. And I'm sure that when they made this, they just wanted to keep it in that same vein. Yeah, because all the all the mangas that we own are, are all in black and white too. Interesting. So, uh, just real quick, I want to. You mentioned the Ferengi already. I just wanted to make a note that in in Kirk's here. time, he shouldn't have been there. Well, like, like well, I said, the did, did the Ferengi not like, exist? Or the, not exist, but but they weren't in well, contact okay, so, with the Federation. Right. So the Federation hadn't met them yet. Right. Does that mean that the no uh, these guys the society yeah these guys could have grabbed them yeah from a different part of the galaxy through their little wormhole technology. There you go. But that's what I, I like that. It was good. There you go. Cool. Cool. Something I thought that was really cool is when Spock just, you know, opened up a can of whoop ass <laughs> on the uh, board queen and just and it was I mean it was it was drawn very like a pretty violent action where he grabs her her right hand and one arm and then pushes her uh, almost up into the shoulder downward very quickly. It mm. was decisive. So he's kind of, you know, Spock's a cool, passive Vulcan, whatever. But when the time comes to take action, he does it very decisively, (laughs) and I like it. Well, plus he was trying to get blood on him so that he could have the tissue sample. Oh, you you think he he purposely did that ahead of time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was all part of the plan? Yeah. As opposed to a a happy coincidence that he took advantage of? No, I, I think that that was his plan all along. Because Spock in, the, in these stories tends to know everything. He figures everything <laughs> out. Well, <laughs> unlike most Star Trek stories. Well, yeah, it depends. Yeah, <laughs> he Spock, is a bit of a know-it-all. Spock is omniscient often. He, he, yeah, he's like Data, the guy that is able to like like ex- put all the pieces together. Right. Yeah, because you know, if Spock didn't explain like maybe that, uh, that one we're going to talk about in a few minutes, or the, ne- the next one, mm. there were a lot of things in the next story... They gave you a lot of hints about what was going on, but it was Spock that pulled it all together. Yeah, he, he's definitely super <laughs> omniscient in the next one. We've seen him worse, right, Ken? I mean, at least he doesn't show superpowers in this one, where he can. <laughs> there, there's some where he can push data into people's minds so that they don't have to learn it themselves. They just sucks it into them. Yes. So, so through the Vulcan blah 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 blah, blah the, yeah, so discipline, he's able thing. to teach them uh, in seconds an entire alien language. Exactly. That's what it was. <laughs> all right. What else you got, Jamie? Was McCoy saying they should kill them all? All the people? Oh, they've been you know suffering for too long. Yeah. So let's just kill them all. Pull the plug. 
just, Ow. just like he did to his dad. Yeah, you would think he, that would be a sore subject. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you remember in Star Trek Five where he says he pulled the plug on his dad like a week before they found the cure to the yep. disease. That's yeah. right. So you think that he would be a little hesitant on killing a whole spaceship full of sick people? Even if they haven't waited around two hundred years to find the cure for whatever. Yeah, and they're in cryo sleep, so it's not like. I mean, he says they're still semi-conscious, so they're suffering, but that seems silly. They're probably used to it by now. <laughs> 200 years of just sitting there? You find something to do. or you. I'm, I'm going to interject, even though I'm not part of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have our studio audience <laughs> chiming in. I, I just personally think that, that perhaps a little bit of it is just the whole, they had an opportunity to destroy the board before they ever became a threat. Well, they didn't know they were the board. Right, but if he if or they had done right. it, if he'd, um, it's the whole the thing of, he's like, oh, we should just put them out of their misery, and if they had just done what he said... No, because the queen was still around. They if they ready? destroyed the queen at that but point. But maybe yeah. her only purpose from then on was just to perfect them and get them cured. Well, she was, she was one of the people in cryosleep at this moment, so if he would have put them out yeah. of her sleep, she would have, or misery, she would have been in there too. See? Yeah. Done and done. Yeah, good point. So they should listen to McCoy more often. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I'm saying is I think that's the reason it's in there. I don't think that their motivation was so much to be like, oh, he's a cruel bastard. That's what kind of comes off as. I mean, granted, he is a cruel bastard, but that's what I've always loved. We love him for that. <laughs> yes, but also, you know, that, that deeper... Good point. There you go. You know. I hope that that actually gets recorded. <laughs> I, I think it did. Something I thought that was a little odd is... This race that's trying to cure the, quote, Borg disease or whatever, they have amazing power and tech. They're hanging out next to an event horizon. They've got time dilation fields. They're able to travel through wormholes and conjure them up. I mean, look at all those things that they can do. Yet, it's really the the Federation phasers that <laughs> slow down the uh, Borg queen, and their, their weapons don't seem to be able to stop her. Not only Just that, but odd. not only that, but their technology should be hundreds and hundreds of years yeah. older than our, uh, the Federation because that ship was in our space for two hundred years, but it was only minutes for them. So that means that they've been in that thing for thousands of years because they say they do that on purpose, where they send a ship out into a normal space and then bring it back in, and hundreds of years passed for them, but for the doctors and stuff on the space station, it was just a couple of minutes or days. Kind of like microwaving a meal. You throw it in the microwave for a couple of minutes, and you come out, it's all nice and toasty. As right. As to putting it into the oven and waiting an but, hour. But what I'm saying is that yeah. for them, their time is, they've been in that wormhole thing for, or that that Even event horizon for thousands of years, if they're able to, every time they send a ship out to do this experiment, it's 100 years for normal people. You're looking confused. I thought it was the other way. I thought, I thought they were trying to speed up the experiment. What? And so time went faster so for, the, for the, the people out there. Am I mixing it up? Then how was it 200 years in their future? I thought that the, the people who were in cryosleep were out in normal space for 200 years. So you're saying it was thousands of years well, for I thought the people they were in the station? Time. No, for the people in the time in the station, it's only been a couple of minutes, but we don't know how long they've been in that little station area. Right. It could have been, you know, any number of things. Any number of years. They don't really say how if long he, they've been trying to fix it. Yeah, if you're, if you're trying to run experiments, though... You over and over again, you want way. it to be faster, time to pass faster for your lab rats. So I'll agree with you, it's a little confusing, mm. but I mean, that's the only well, thing Well, that that's exactly sense. what they're doing. Every time they send a ship out of the lab, 
and when it comes back, two hundred years have passed for the for the rats, not for, for the them. rats. Yes, yeah. right. So for them, time has been slowed. So they had to have been in that wormhole or that event horizon for thousands of years. Oh, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, that right, means right. that their their tech was that much more advanced thousands of years ago than what the Federation is right now. Yep. Um, they're still probably perfecting it within the wormhole, you know, going, oh, okay, well, we need a new thing to do that. Right, so they yeah, just send somebody out of the thing, and then you come back when you got it fixed. <laughs> and then they come back two minutes later, and like, big old beard, and three <laughs> and generations I'm, And, and I'm just saying, does the Federation make the, the best weapons? I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because, again, Spock figured it out, the whole, we got to change it to where, you know, it's a rotating thing to where she can't adapt so fast. Adapting the rotating modulation. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the next-gen folks It's like he could see the future. Wow. Cool. And, and for the record, for your, uh, the Federation should know about the Borg, there is the Borg episode of Star Trek Enterprise. Where they and, found. There is. And yet still Picard didn't uh, know about it. Uh, What's up with that? Yeah, they found it on Earth. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because it's it's wreckage from the sphere from first contact. Oh yeah. That starts to recreate the high. It was line. all top, top secret, like in yeah. Terminator. No, it was. They the hand. And... I think they did a pretty good job with it. But <laughs> I was just poking fun at what you said. Yeah. <laughs> the timelines never work out right. <laughs> <laughs> but they try their best. This. So. Yeah. So they, they, they count on the idea that people watching the show don't scratch too deeply. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not going to let that happen. All right. So I thought the artwork was good in this one. Uh, not as bad as the next two as far as yeah. not knowing who's saying what. I thought I could figure out who was saying what for the most, the most <laughs> part. Uh, the only thing I didn't like was the sound effects being in Japanese where you didn't know if it was an explosion sometimes or a communicator beeping. Yeah. So. It's a, the, those Japanese characters trying to get across uh, sound effects, they just, like, what? Right. Yeah. But for the know, next one, they use English sound effects, which is convenient for me. Yes. Oh, yeah. Now, 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 what... So this was... This comic was... This comic was made for the Japanese market. No, it was made for the American market in the Japanese style. Okay. So they made the conscious decision that even though we're making this for the American market, we are going to use... Uh, Japanese sound effects in some of these that Absolutely. most readers would not have any clue about, but because it looks like Japanese, you're going, ooh. And they're going to eat it up. Anja. They're going to eat it up, and they did. Okay. Saying cool. that Tokyo Pop, who made this, also released a whole bunch of other Japanese, real Japanese manga. Yeah. But I found out the other day that they're now out of business. Aww. Aww. So... A little sad news. Da, 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 da. Okay. Anything else, Jamie? I'm good. Can? No. Let's jump into the next one. All right. Engage with the second story, Anything But Alone. Writer is Joshua Ortega. The art is by Gregory Giovanni Johnson, which is interesting. Uh, not a Japanese artist. At least I assume that's not a Japanese name. Letters are Lucas Riviera, and editor is uh, Luis Reyes. The story opens with the Enterprise heading into a largely unexplored region of space near the Alexian system. From the command chair, Kirk is saying he's happy to be back on the frontier again to Spock and McCoy. Ahura reports that they are receiving a transmission from the nearest planet, but she does not understand its contents. Indeed, when she plays it for the bridge crew, only Spock has an idea of what it is. 
He says it sounds like Zemigen transmission. No, I got that wrong. Uh, but since the planet was destroyed a hundred years ago, he is intrigued how it could have emanated from the nearby planet. Kirk forms a landing party and turns the Khan over to Sulu. Not long after beaming down onto, into the center of a city, a woman named Chartel welcomes them to Zemega II. She is a beautiful woman dressed in a fancy flowing jacket and miniskirt outfit. She says she is not aware of any transmission sent by them, but the land, landing party is more than welcome to their colony, and she is happy to be their guide. They visit the colony's great library with all the records of their race that was salvaged after the destruction of their planet. Personal as well as public records are there and even include biological data. They move on to the Manual Labor Pavilion, where colonists get away from advanced technology and build things with old tools and manual effort. Chartel grabs her head and tells of her extreme headaches she gets from time to time. One of the colonists gashes his hand deeply with a tool. McCoy goes to administer first aid, but to his amazement, the wound completely heals before his eyes. No explanation is given. Later, the tour ends, and Kirk states that they accepted Chartel's offer to spend the night in the colony. She leaves their company, and the landing party goes from grinning friendly folk to being an all-business wary force to be reckoned with. They call up the ship, telling them they are spending the night, but leave the channel open just in case. They discuss what they observed and their suspicions. The instantly healing hand, no one knowing anything about the transmission to the Enterprise, and most curious of all, the total lack of children. Later at dinner, as the terrific trio are enjoying exceptional food, a girl named Lynn approaches their table and asks to speak with them. She turns out to be the person that sent the original signal to the Enterprise and mentions Precraft, Zemega's most celebrated scientist. Lynn tells them how she helped Precraft with the molecular assembly technology that went into their original probe. She stops her disjointed explanation, saying she has told others about her concerns, but the other colonists just ignore her and Precraft won't speak to anyone. Suddenly, she grabs her head as if she has an extreme migraine, apologizes, and leaves. Kirk comments on how everyone seems to get migraines in this colony. Spock states he thinks he knows at least partially what's going on. Spock quotes the work of John von Neumann, who theorized that you could build a self-replicating molecular assembler, install them in a space probe, and shoot them to a habitable world. There they could construct anything that they are programmed to, including biological life, perhaps even complex biological life, such as people. McCoy calls the idea horse feathers, and even science fiction, but Spock states yesterday's fiction is today's fact. Kirk is more open to the idea because it makes sense of most of the puzzle pieces. They decide Dr. Precraft is probably the man with all the answers, so after their meal, they set out to meet him. They arrive at his impressive abode and enter when no one appears to be about. After they are inside for a while, they split up to find Precraft. McCoy and Kirk in one team and Spock going solo. Spock follows his tricorder readings to the location of a humanoid life reading and sees below him a room that is projecting a lifelike simulation of people. 
Suddenly he is accosted by someone from behind who says he should not have come. Kirk and McCoy enter a room with lots of equipment that they take for Precraft's lab. Precraft himself is in the room in some kind of deep concentration. When he comes out of it, he tells Kirk and McCoy they are quite the intrepid travelers, and he did not authorize any visitors. Kirk tells him he assumes that he is Precraft, and he was hoping that Precraft interrupts and tells them that there is no hope. Hope dies here. Everything dies here. Meanwhile, Spock turns to address Lynn, who came up from behind. Spock asks if the room is some form of holographic reality simulator. She says she thinks so, but has never been this far into Precraft's building. After watching the events, she says it's Precraft's memory. It's showing events on Zimega before it was destroyed. The image of Precraft assuring Lynn that the recreated versions of themselves will look and even feel like real people is an important goal to achieve. Lynn tells Spock he and everyone is hurting. The headaches are affecting everyone. Meanwhile, Precraft is speaking to Kirk and McCoy in a crazy way. This guy has lost it. He explains how everything dies but him. He says he is everyone. In a wigged-out way, he states the probe reached Zmega 2 and recreated everything and everyone from Zmega 1. Their bodies, minds, and even souls. He says the process was perfect. Perfect. Meanwhile, Lynn and the holographic room is recounting the details of Zmega's destruction and how the last two survivors, Precraft and Lynn, really loved each other. Precraft's explanation to Kirk and McCoy told how the detailed recordings of people's consciousness was erased by intense solar radiation from the solar nova. So all Precraft could do is program the probe's machines with his memories of the people of Zimega. He talks about how hard it is for him to be all people all the same time. McCoy says it's crazy that the entire new world is based on one man's memory of the original world. In a menacing way, Precraft says that Kirk and McCoy's presence has shattered his fantasy, that everything is going fine. The illusion is gone. His escalating anger drives Precraft to use the assemblers to create two horrible demon-looking creatures that attack Kirk and McCoy. The first one attacks Kirk and knocks his phaser out of his hand. McCoy is able to get off a shot at one creature, but then, in typical manja style, tentacles come out of one of the creature's hands and envelop McCoy. They are both incapacitated with the curling tentacles. They tell Precraft he cannot blame them for the situation he finds himself in. Kirk says they are trying to help, and through Lynn, they were asked to come and give help. Lynn enters the room with Spock and tells Precraft they need help. For some reason, the pain in Precraft's brain increases, and Lynn comes to his aid. The creatures holding Kirk and McCoy disappear. Lynn tells Precraft that the Federation men can help them because they are real. He continues to calm down, and the structures of the entire colony start to come apart. Lynn begins to disappear and asks them to take care of Precraft. After Lynn is gone, the buildings continue to come rumbling down. The landing party plus Precraft transport up to the Enterprise. In sickbay, Precraft tells how, after a while, he no longer could tell where he ended and the rest of the recreated people began. 
the headaches got worse until it was unbearable. He says he will always cherish the memory of Lynn, but it's time for new beginnings. Kirk agrees, and the story ends. Kind of a long synopsis, but there was a lot of things going on, a lot of back and forth in the story. Right. And really, it was, you know, it's, it's parts of this was, this took a few reads to understand all the details that were going on here. Yeah, I thought it was funny you mentioned that Spock was seeing the holographic representation when I couldn't quite tell what he was seeing. Yeah, I mean, I had to re... Because I was doing the synopsis, I was rereading it a few times, and I understood a lot more as I kept on rereading it. Hmm. Yeah, it was starting to give me a headache after a while. <laughs> <laughs> so in general, I thought it was an okay story. The artwork was adequate, uh, except I thought Kirk, Spock, and McCoy all have the neck and body of Captain Marvel or Superman <laughs> from a 50s comic, and... Uh, you know, it, it's not it's not as realistic as I prefer them. Uh, getting back to your comment earlier, anyway, the cool thing about this is at least the artwork and the depiction did not distract me uh, like it did in our third story. The artwork mm-hmm. kind of distracted me in the third story. This one I thought was bad because the uh, it seemed like the word balloon sometimes didn't match the person that was actually saying it. So a lot of times it was pointing to like Kirk's chest, and I'm like, why is he saying that? And then oh, he's not. That was a little distracting at times, but it was all right. Jamie? It kind of reminded me of um, the last book of the Ender series. And, huh. and Ender goes into middle space or something something weird like that, and he, in, from his mind he creates memories of his brother and his sister from when they were growing up, and then eventually Ender dies because he's trying to be three people at once. Hmm. So he's like, okay, I'm going to let go, and the other two can go. And Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> if somebody was uh, had not read that and were planning on doing it, they'd be quite upset by now. That was the yeah. uh, Clark. Who wrote that book? Orson Scott Card. Or Card, yeah. right, right, right. I've only read the first one. Excellent, classic, Ender's Game. But uh, I like the rest of the the, the, the books too. Uh, the Bean books, uh, it gets a little weird. But uh, back to the story, it kind of reminded me of, of that. Just trying to be lots of different people, and yeah, it would drive you nuts. Yeah, actually, I thought that was pretty good. I like that part. Yeah, the thing I didn't understand about that, though, is... Well, a couple of things. I, I didn't realize that he traveled with the probe. I mean, I was, th- I was imagining the probe as being something, like, smaller that you sent uh, to start up a colony somewhere else, not with somebody in it, but apparently that was the case, since he's the, the only survivor. Uh, they send uh, Kalar in a, in a probe at one point. That's how how she 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 meets up. Oh yeah, that's right. The, yeah, she's all the, like the, Spock's the, first wife. Is right. that not Spock? Uh, Warf. I mean, yeah. What I say? Spock. Spock. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Worf, Worf. Uh, Alexander's mother. Worf is very different. <laughs> Human. <laughs> so so I, I can kind of believe them. Yeah, him being in the little tube. Plus, Jor El did it. And maybe it wasn't a little tube, I don't know. But anyway, if he programmed everything from his memory, and these these molecular construction machines were were creating all the buildings and the people and stuff, and they were programmed from his memory, it's like, didn't the programming happen at the beginning? I mean, I didn't quite get why he had to keep on being involved in being these people. I mean, why wouldn't they have just taken his... Because they were incomplete. His draft and then just run with it. Run with it. Yeah, run with it. Kind of like a holiday. So, yeah, so so he was actually running around in his mind, living their lives as they encountered stimuli 
he would give them things to react to based on his memories of how they would react. Yeah, but then the lends, lends, Lynn still does stuff that he's not aware of, though. Yep, right. That's so right. she still like, like changes or does things behind his back. Part of to his help mind him. wanted help. Yeah, maybe he's subconscious or something. Subconscious. The other, the other right. thing I wonder is, did uh, what's her face? What was her name? Oh, Chantel or Ch- Ch- yeah. Chantel or Did she actually look like that, or did he embellish her a little? bit? <laughs> <laughs> she is pretty, uh, you know, pretty attractive. Yeah. Very leggy. Yeah, so <laughs> that would be also another question. Well, uh, Same remembering accurately. That's what I was saying. I was like, if y'all had to, if, if, if a world required me to come up with everybody, <laughs> be very little people and a lot of superheroes. And <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember, I remember my cousin Superman. <laughs> <laughs> And Kirk would be there, and Spock would be there. Exactly, so uh, it would not look like the real Earth at all. <laughs> yeah, not only that, how many people do you really, I mean, in your in your circle of people, acquaintances, I mean, how far would that extend? Right. I mean, would you really know, know enough well people enough to... to recreate, enough people to populate a colony? No. Yeah, no. It, it, but that's where you want to add Superman, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, and plus he was super smart. He is smart. And he's an alien, so who knows what capabilities he And he looks like Khan. Did y'all think that? He does look like Khan. A little bit, especially when he's angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, with the long white hair. Yeah. Big old muscles and everything. Yep. So these little creature <sighs> things that he comes up with, are those supposed to be Mugatus? Because they kind of look like Mugatus. Uh, with the, the single horn and the bit, white fur. A little bit. But doesn't those Mugatus have kind of like a like an ape nose or something? Uh, yeah, those yeah, guys yeah. don't have noses these at all. A little bit. Yeah, but Mugatus also aren't made of fibrous muscle that can you, just you've gotta have stretch out. In there somewhere. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Not my favorite okay. so far. Still, like is that all you have? Like number one. That's all I got. Done. I think I'm done too. Okay. So story number three is Till Death with writer Mike W. Barr, artist. You're going to have to help me with this one. Zhang Mo Yang. Zhang Mo Yang. Zhang Mo Yang. With the same lettering and editor as the other two stories. And could I just mention real quick, mm-hmm. Mike W. Barr, isn't, hasn't he written a lot of other things? Or the, the name looks familiar. Yeah. Oh, is he the writer of this? Yes. Yeah. Other than this particular story. Yeah, Michael W. Barr. He wrote uh, those. He wrote the the first several issues of Deep Space Nine for Malibu that we oh. read, and he also did those great um, annuals, the last voyage and the first mission. Oh, okay, he did that one. Yeah, those, those so, are good. Yeah, okay. well, more of that. Sucks. Sorry for interrupting. Uh, that reminded me, though, uh, the art was by Gregory yeah, Giovanni Johnson <laughs> in the second story. Maybe that's why the sound effects are in English. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. Yes. But this one's, yeah, yeah. Is this so, yeah. one the sound effects in English, too? Uh, no. Yeah, right, so we're back to an artist who is Asian. There you go. Yeah, maybe, yeah. That's it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Okay, so continuing their mission, mapping deep space, the crew comes across a planet that should have developed life, but it's barren. They go in for a closer look. Meanwhile, Becky Randall and Tom Markham get married with much rejoicing and cake. While Captain Kirk flirts with Dr. Pearson, the ship comes under attack from the barren planet. The attack is not a great threat, but Kirk moves the ship out of range so they can get, gather their thoughts on how best to proceed. And Kirk makes sure Dr. Pearson gets in on the senior meeting. 
They figure that the weapons were automated. The missiles came from two different sites, and maybe these are what caused the plant's demise. Kirk and a landing party go to the surface to investigate one site, Spock and another landing party to the other. They find nothing but death and a very fancy sarcophagus. It's made of metal with a, a language unknown to the Federation, and a dead guy hooked up to it. There is one at each site, so they bring him on board. In a meeting back on the ship, they discuss how the sarcophagi are emitting a low-level energy wave of the same frequency as the guidance systems of the missiles. Spock thinks that's why there have been no further attacks. Dr. Pearson gets a bit feminist snappy at Spock. She realizes that she's yelling and excuses herself, saying that she must be overtired. Spock seems concerned. Back on the bridge, the lights go out. Scotty doesn't have an explanation. Kirk sends Spock to help Scotty figure this all out. Kirk goes to Dr. Pearson's room, where a romantic dinner is spread out. Dr. Pearson feels better, but regrets her earlier behavior. They start to kiss, and then yell at each other, each blaming the other's sex on the problem. Kirk knows something is wrong, then Spock calls him to another crew's quarters. An epic battle of the sexes is beginning all over the ship. Even the newly married couple is at each other's throats. Kirk calls a meeting. The crew is trying to kill each other. There is a massive drain on the energy resources. Spock figures the sarcophagi have something to do with it. Dr. McCoy figures it, he could whip, whip up something to keep the men and women from killing each other, but that would only be a temporary fix at best. Tempers flare. Kirk says that the crew will be separated on the ship. Even Uhura is yelling at Kirk. With the threat of, be- of rig time, she quiets down. So they don't have enough power to beam the sarcophagi back down. And Kirk and Spock go to find out more about them. When they find the security team dead, and the dead bodies, not so dead anymore. There's a naked man and a naked woman. Kirk is frozen by her powers as she walks by. McCoy calls and asks Kirk where the hell he and Spock are that he has set up a temporary sick bay. The naked man and the and woman each find their segregated sex. There are a couple of conveniently placed crew members and long flowing hair so nothing inappropriate shows. The naked man introduces himself as Farron. The naked woman introduces herself as Nadira. Each will lead their team to against the domination of the other group. They also promise shame and degradation to the other to their our enemies. Kirk finds Spock at, a temp- at the temporary sickbay. He says that it was the male's telepathic abilities that knocked him out. Since he has minor telepathic abilities, he was able to see who the aliens were. They were once in love and equal rulers of the planet, till they turned on each other in an epic battle of the sexes. Many died. Eventually, there were so few people left that they put their rulers in the sarcophagi, waiting for, waiting to, for a power source to leech from and start up their war again. Bones concurs that the sarcophagi could regenerate the aliens, and that he made up a shot to make them immune to Farron. But Spock doesn't need one, and he goes to, and he wants to go help. McCoy doesn't want to let him, but Kirk promises to take care of Spock. So they w- want to fill the ship with their handy-dandy intruder control gas. It turns out that Nurse Chapel was in the room the whole time because she took an oath, and her par- patients need her to try to kill Spock. <laughs> Spock does the nerve pinch, and they are on their way. The women get wise to the gas and just close the vents and send a team to deal with Kirk. Kirk tries to reason with them. The women turn on the ones that are starting to see things Kirk's way. Farron is, get, is going to sh- separate the ship. His half controls the warp drive and the photon torpedoes. McCoy comments how this is, it's just like any other war. The generals sit back and send the troops to die. If only the generals could sit face to face, they could see... Perfect, Kirk says. The ship separates and they are readying weapons. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy need to get to the transport before... Fire! Transport! Transport! 
Nadira and Farron are face to face. Fight a bit and kill each other. With a few, oh, my head. And all is well again. The newlyweds are reunited with hugs. Time to start the repairs. McCoy reflects that Spock is right in that our, en- our emotions will get us all killed. Kirk reminds him that without emotions, we lose courage and joy. Now time to see Dr. Pearson. They never did find out the name of the planet, but it was no Eden. Kirk's final thoughts. Yeah. So Kirk really wanted to be with her. So he put the well-being of the ship so that he could keep this date. <laughs> well, he had to have priorities. Obviously he does. I just what what, what right. about that whole thing where he's like married to the ship? Yeah, I found that interesting. Oh, I'm married, married to the, the ship. ship. Married I to have the ship. Room for a mistress. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that was just a little off-putting when when it goes from we're in deep and then nighttime at Kurt's house. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Also, what is she a doctor of? They never really say. And why would she be helpful in the meeting? Because she's making him dinner? Make she's, him dinner? Get better assignments? That felt a little goofy. She's the doctor of love. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she was supposed to be some... Paleon or uh, archaeologist or something that pops up just when you need her yeah, and then sure. goes away until you know for another fifty episodes. Exactly. Okay. Well, let me just say that I don't like the story. I don't like the artwork. Uh, that was very, very odd. Very, uh, very uh, typical in a lot of like the the, the drawing of Farron and, and Nadira. The very angular, very spiky hair, long flowing hair. Right, and, and there, there are some cool things. I mean, I like that close-up of the eye. Mm. That's kind of cool. So yeah. there's, there, there's a spot where there's close-up the eye. I mean, it almost looks like like a cat. It's a very or feral eye. Yeah. But you know, that ain't Kirk. I'm no. sorry. There's no way that's Kirk. Well, uh, even Chekhov's blonde in this. I mean, like really, really blonde. Mo- yeah. In which? Oh, really? Spock and McCoy are, yeah. have black hair. Everyone else has white hair, pretty much. Yeah, that, oh, that no. That's Chekhov. Oh, oh! I got you. Okay. Yeah, check off on the very first panel is like, yeah, looks like a little Justin Bieber looking kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, see, yeah, I the can see that. art sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, out of the and, three. And, this and was, how about Ahura? I mean, Ahura was in a few things. It's like, that's Ahura. Well, you only knew it was Ahura because she's shaded darker. Uh, yeah, she, she, she's uh, got a little bit of poofy hair, but yeah, yeah, yeah but uh, yeah. The, uh, her her face really doesn't have any uh, well, n- negro features. Does. Nobody nobody looks like who they're supposed to be. No, but I mean, he's way too. off. But the the, the dude looks like the Dragon Ball Z guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's has, that's where I saw him. He even has the super scion hair sticking up. <laughs> <laughs> when I looked at, it, I was like, oh great, Dragon Ball Z Star Trek. <laughs> And what's up with the hair? Why do they have to cover up the good bit? <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's a G or PG rated comic. <laughs> so Kirk gets like pushed aside. He's like frozen. But poor poor Spock gets knocked out. So much so that he has to be taken to sick bay. Well, I don't even understand. If she wanted to kill everybody who was male, then why wouldn't she just kill Kirk? When right. She yeah. Because later up? on, the security team is dead. What? Yeah, it didn't make sense. No. Well, you can't kill off your major characters. No. Especially Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean, I didn't realize that this was Mike Barr until y'all said it, and uh, that's a little disappointing, because I really liked all the other books we've read so far. Right, right. Um, I do like how they got the uh, saucer separation from the uh, 
from the engineering warp drive section. Okay. I thought that was cool. When you had mentioned in, in an episode, episode number 28, I have no idea what episode, <laughs> yeah, but there was, you, you educated me <laughs> that the whole idea was that even back in, the, back in the day, the original Enterprise Constitution class was supposed to be able to do that. And it's like, I didn't know that. I thought that was just an Enterprise D thing. No, so kind of cool to actually see it happen. Of course, I must say, not nearly as gracefully as... Uh, as the next gen well, that was the whole thing. It was supposed to be able to do it just to get away from the warp drive if it was going to go critical. Right. But but that's just it. The end of the story, they're, they say they're out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. And now they have to go at sub-light speed exactly. to get to this other space station. I'm like, that's a long drive. Exactly. What sense does that make? And so they can't, at least they didn't say they could just rejoin. You know, Scotty working overtime. Where is Scotty in these, anyway? So, uh, Scotty working overtime to get it, like, like connected again? At least they didn't do that. So, that I think that was right. more realistic. They need to go to a star base to get, to get Yeah, which, which is... I like that, but... Yeah, which, you know, if this was written by Mike Barr, I can imagine he, he knew that. Right. But, really, what do you do? I mean, what else do you do? I mean, uh, the warp drive section could go ahead to, to the star base, but then... What then? Well, I was I mean, wondering, you still got can the, you tow something at warp? I'm assuming that's what they would do. Get some sort of tugboat to come over and track beam or something. Yeah, if you can do that. Yeah, I've never. I've, they've towed at warp before. Right? Have they towed at warp? Okay. The uh, the the peanut gallery. The the, the studio audience <laughs> is saying yes. Next they've towed at warp. Yeah, I thought. Oh so. well, they can do anything. Yeah, it's Picard. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just depends on the writer at the time whether they can do it. <laughs> There you go. It requires tachyons or something. Oh, yes. Mm. So, so I, I got a, a nitpick here. Uh, Kirk says that a woman can be captain, that there's, you know, him being the captain had nothing to do with gender. Mm-hmm. Yet, in the very last episode of Star Trek, the one <laughs> where he flips places with that woman, mm-hmm. they say in that episode that there's no women captains. And so, I mean... I know that nobody really thinks about that one as being the the last word in this this uh, battle so of the sexes not. thing because if so, that's really short sighted of of a futuristic show yeah. that you would have no woman captain. Yeah, but did they? I don't remember that detail by the way because that was a bad episode, like many of the third season episodes. But I mean, they must have done that to be in line with the story. I mean, some point right, they were right. trying to make in the story. Well, that was why she wanted to switch bodies with a man because. As a woman, uh, she could never. She could never. She be could a never captain. be a captain. Oh, was and it? so she was switching with Kirk, and then Shatner portrayed it <laughs> so gracefully. Oh my God! What a sexist! <laughs> I don't know. I guess like like nowadays, there's never been a female president, but there could be right if, they, if we you know elected one. I guess that's why he's trying to say there. Well, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that's supposed to be hundreds of years in the future. Yeah. yeah there's no, going to be one. It was short-sighted of the original writers. Yeah, it was just the it was just that one episode where I think they really you know, you're making a show about the future about how all well, genders all and races the are the same and then your very last episode you ever make, you're going to go out on that note. <laughs> well, say what you want to about uh, Voyager, but at least they had yeah. a female captain. Well, not only Voyager, but even the original Cage. You had a woman first officer, but that's not a captain. That's, they didn't she like it. That's been. why they had to rework it. I know, but right, yeah. being fans, yep. <laughs> they said they could keep the alien, but you got to drop the, uh, the <laughs> woman in charge. <laughs> Can't have that. No. So he married her instead. Huh. Roddenberry. 
Right. What else do you have? Uh, why wasn't so Nurse Chapel's hanging out with them, and mm. she's overhearing their their plot, and they don't notice. Mm-hmm. So she and then she's then she tries to kill Spock. Why wasn't she trying to kill Spock or all of them this whole time? She's just kind of hanging out. She was biding her time. She was waiting yeah. for opportunity. And of well, course, she goes after Spock because she loves him. Exactly. <laughs> we all knew that. Well, what I find funny is that if this is some sort of mind control that completely overrides your normal sense of being. How can Kirk talk people out? I mean, he he gets held up by some women, and he's able to just say, "Oh, come on, <laughs> you know I'm right. <laughs> you are right, Captain." And well, then they, they just some, some of the gas had gotten in, so maybe they they were starting to wake up a little but bit. But the gas was supposed to wake them to knock sleep, them out, not, not oh, change their mind. Yeah, it's supposed to be knockout uh, gas. Yeah, that's yeah intruder control gas. I mean, we exactly. know Kirk has a way with women. It well, what and not only that, he is the captain of the debate team. Because <laughs> he, you know, he's out there uh, convincing all kinds of people of all kinds of things. But this is an amazing display of his persuasive abilities. Yeah, true control guess. It felt like they, they got out of their Batman utility belt. <laughs> but it has been mentioned in the original series. I think they even did it, didn't they? Uh, they did, didn't they? Before, I think. Yeah. Didn't they? Yeah, didn't they? It, wasn't it in Space Seed when they tried to use it? Was it, or was it when Finnegan took over engineering and he was singing Finnegan. all the <laughs> Oh. I thought Finnegan was the uh, guy. No, on, he turned uh, off the, the um, life support system at one point or something like that. He was threatening to, or uh, he didn't yeah. know what he was doing, was pushing random buttons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, wasn't Finnegan the guy in Shore Leave that was the guy, the upperclassman that was always taunting Oh, Kirk? that's right. I'm getting all mixed up. Riley. Mm. Riley? I forgot that. The Yeah, he was in a... Yeah. I forgot that guy's name. <laughs> Riley or something? I don't know. I don't know. My last comment is I liked how they had the wedding at the beginning. You know, there was that... I love a wedding. The, the only time we've seen a wedding in Star Trek was... Balance of Terror. Balance of Terror, right, at the beginning. Which I thought... In I the original scene. Yep. Yeah. Cause, yeah, because Keiko and O'Brien get married in the next generation. And Worf gets married and a couple Worf. times. A couple times. Well, we see it once, right? Do we see him get married more than once? He well, never marries what's uh, Kalar. He bit her face. That's marriage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's Klingon marriage there. <laughs> Nothing says I love you like a good bite, bite, in, the bite in the face. And then, and then he marries Jadzia. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're right. He only actually gets married once. Goes through the actual ceremony for that one. I can't imagine her letting him bite his her face, though. <laughs> She uh, probably, she's a little weird. She would bite back. <laughs> she's feisty. All right. Anything else for uh, you, Jamie? Yeah, that was kind of upsetting. The, the the explanation as to why exactly do so. Farron and Nadira they they love each other and it's all consuming and then they die. Well, they, they they love each other so much that they're gonna kill each other. Well, not only themselves, they kill the whole planet. Mm-hmm. If you love that, if well, you love the other person that much, it's all consuming. Yeah. Wouldn't you want to protect them, not well, shoot yeah. them? But but okay, and, and th- sometimes stories are very uh, handy about when they turn a corner, <laughs> just to make you know, just to get you the place they want you to go. I mean, they said it was so consuming, the love turned to hate, and it was like, wow. So that's that's is that why the divorce rate's so high? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Probably you didn't watch Star Wars Episode One. Anger leads to fear. <laughs> fear. <laughs> and the dark side, I don't know. So yeah. Right, right, right. I'm sure love yeah. and hate was in there somewhere, too. Uh, the only thing I have to say is I thought it was a bit of a stretch to have Farron and Adira uh, being limp corpses in the sarcophaguses 
and then, on the planet. And then when they get up the Enterprise, they're able to magically suck down the you know, the Enterprise uh, power enough to disable transporters and everything else to renew themselves into being young, perfect specimens of virility. I just thought it was. And a, they couldn't a bit pack much. a shirt. And they couldn't pack a shirt. <laughs> well, uh, they were so old and, and decayed. You know, the the clothes probably the clothes probably just ate away <laughs> over time. Who knows? And how do they kill each other exact at the exact same moment to where, uh, and death? And they're just both dead at once. Well, when when one of them actually died due to the other one's blows, the other one died of heartbreak. Oh. Oh, so they flip back to love. At the end? At the end, yeah. Well, they're, they're crying, or they're veining. I'm not sure. <laughs> and I will say that I do like the artwork there. Most of the artwork in this in this story I didn't like, but I did like their, their epic battle. I mean, that, you, know, that, I mean you, you really, the way they drew it, that you get, really get the feeling that they were really going at each other. I mean, there was no punches pulled. This was like, bleh, good fight. Right. Now, how did they destroy their whole first planet? The original planet, did they destroy it by in war? People stopped procreating. So I, busy I imagine and they that hated the, each other. Uh, imagine that the children, the the population will take a dive when all men hate all women, because you can't really procreate any other way. Well, yeah. So, so there probably were. So the 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 children at the time of the hatred war grew up to be adults, and then they killed each other off, and that's it. Yep. Yeah. And they loved these heroes so much that they kept both of them alive. Convenient. And, but not themselves. Not themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No army, yeah. Could you make a few more of those sarcophaguses? <laughs> you know, maybe for me, you know? Uh, he'll need somebody to get him some clothes when he leaves <laughs> out. Such a morose. I make his coffee yeah. just right. <laughs> okay, that's all I gotta say. Yeah, that was just an ugly veil. And like the veil, and she wore it throughout the whole show. Well, so you know who she is and why it's, well, yeah, it's a, such a big thing that there are. Oh, already. that's what that was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, the veil from the first scene. Exactly. Days so ago. there was a spot. <laughs> there was a spot when I was in the, in the, in the comic book reading. It's like, what is that on her head? <laughs> it's like I didn't bother figuring it out. Right. Okay. So I just think it's funny that she it's kept it on this whole time. Although she hates her husband now, but she's going to keep it on for a reminder. Mm. Okay. All right. Anything else? I got nothing. I'm good. So uh, we usually do the elsewhere in Star Trek, but we'll hit this timeline again some other day. And I'm not 100% sure what month this came out, so we'll skip that part. Okay. Sounds so good. That'll. Uh, that's that's it for me. Jamie, any final words since uh, we might not hear from you for a while? No, I'm good. But we might hear from you sooner than later. Yes. We still got another half of this book to read. Ah. <laughs> yep. Sounds good. So we'll have. And maybe the peanut gallery could actually read it, and we'd have four people. Ooh, would that be possible? I I don't know if I'll be able to read, though. I am illegitimate. (laughs) 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 We 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 wouldn't hold that against you. So thank you, uh, studio audience, Mike. For uh, for coming. (laughs) Yes, we have. I was just going to call him Peanut. (laughs) Peanut. (laughs) Our little Peanut. All right, well, that being said, we'll finish this episode and be back next week. That sounds great. Next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan, Ken, and Jamie. And studio audience Mike. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. 
All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic, second name book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.